podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Thursday's edition of the Terra Scottish Football Podcast. I am Duncan Mackay and I'm joined by Craig Anderson. Hello. And Tom Watt. Hello, how are we doing? We are, it's Thursday. I think that's basically it. I think um, thoughts and prayers to everyone at the moment because January's <laughs> shit. And it's shit at the best of times. It's even worse this year. Uh, uh, just fuck this noise uh, basically so uh, we're here to hopefully distract you maybe um, and uh, maybe cheer you up a little and we're going to do an interesting McBurney index uh, and then we're also going to look at the next uh, game in our memorable Scotland matches and it's memorable not to the best as you'll soon find out Uh, so we're doing McBurney index Uh, Fowler has charged us with Speaking about uh, two players uh, each uh, in different categories, so we've, we've been looking at two players each that have surprised us, and then two players this season that have disappointed us. So, Tom, what do you want to kick us off with? Our let let's start negative and, and build back positive. So, yeah, right. Every, we'll go with the disappointing ones to begin with. Tom, who's your first disappointing one? I've gone for Scott Brown. Timely. <laughs> Timely, timely, a timely, a timely Scott Brown. Um, there, there have been like three or four times over the last two or three seasons that you've thought he was done, and um, he's always found a found a new, like slightly different role in the team. Like when he got found out for 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 pace, he was he dropped deeper or he was more economical with the ball, um, got younger legs around him, and always kind of came back. I, you know, maybe was was let like played slightly fewer games, but was always like there for the big games. This season, he is done. He like he's categorically done, um, and I think it's almost worse than that. That we're already past the stage that Lennon's legacy with Celtic is irreversibly tarnished because of the last six weeks. I think there's almost a danger that Scott Brown's could be too. Not not to the same extent, but like if he'd gone at the end of last season when um, you know there, there, there had previously been talk of him like seeing out his career in Australia or, or or you know dropping down a level maybe but you know the nine in a row a, a historic treble well would have been had to win the, the season Scottish Cup but basically un, unbeaten in the cups for as long as anyone could remember that's like legendary status that's like him in the discussion about all-time greatest 11s you know th- this season, wrecks that that this season wrecks that and and it not to undo the the good work that had been done you know that he obviously has put in over the last 15 odd years but the the way the season's gone the way it's kind of unraveled um and the way he's kind of been tied to the unraveling does does wreck it i mean teams are are now obviously targeting him 
uh, Lennon seeing him as a sort of go-to sub, which is weird. And I think last night's the, the Livy match will be a fairly defining match whenever anyone discusses Scott Brown's Celtic career because the the one thing he had left like at, at a world-class level was shithousery. Like he was still a world-class uh, niggler and wound up opponents. And last night he got sent off for the kind of thing that he does every two or three games. Like it, it probably, for me, it probably wasn't, it, it was probably a yellow card, but he does that a lot. And to get caught out for it and to be sent off for it feels like the point where he realised he's lost his powers. Like it's it's almost like like great sporting comebacks that 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 fall short. Or like Bjorn Borg retired at, at twenty six um, after four consecutive French Opens could have called it a day, and you know that that would have been his all time one of the top two or three players ever forever and ever. But came back ten years later played with a wooden racket, got knocked out in Monte Carlo at the first round. And there's a point in that video, in videos of that match where you can see that his powers are gone and he knows it. And I think that that Livingston match, so off the pace, so lacking in the tools to do it at the level that he wants to be at. I mean, I I actually think in in a McBurney index style, he could still be worth point one of a McBurney because I think he'd probably still be fine in the English Championship if he wanted to be but I think the dramatic fall off this season when you would have thought that like used sparingly with his experience and the legs around him he would have this season in him and he's kind of been symptomatic of the way it's all gone wrong on the pitch. For, for me with Brown if he'd been managed better if Brendan Rodgers was still at Celtic I think you wouldn't have this issue at all. I think last season he would have played many fewer games. This season he would have played fewer games. He would, he might, his, his talents might have waned, but you wouldn't have seen it so much. And then you would have seen him still have impact. I mean, he had an impact at the Dundee United game earlier this season. He came on and kind of influenced the game for Celtic. But the problem has been he's had a manager who's essentially made him continue to think he's been the main man at the club. You can be the captain and not play all the time. And I think that, the, the combination of him being with Lennon um, and Lennon probably probably sharing a, a similar outlook and Lennon kind of seeing him as his kind of go-to man has affected Brown as much as it's affected Celtic because he is, yeah, as you say, he, his legacy is potentially tarnished and he, he should really have been able to see out his career playing, you know, 20 games a season, you know, okay, well, He's maybe not first pick anymore. He's maybe not playing in Europe, but he's still starting against Kelly at home and doing fine. But instead, they waited until it was too late and now it all feels a bit kind of, yeah, a bit sad almost. Yeah. Not sad because he's, 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 as a footballer, he's very unlikable. But if you were looking at it as a neutral, not knowing who Scott Brown was, you probably would think it was sad. And I think I think you're right about that being, he is tethered to the fate of this Whatever is happening at Celtic at the moment, you know that I know that he is he's doing his coaching badges and things like that. Like he at a certain stage was would be a natural former uh, future Celtic manager. I think this season has the potential to be so damaging that that might not happen. I know that sounds completely um, 
overblown and and and, and such like that. But there is, I think, there's such a, a bad feeling, such a disconnect, and the fact that Brown is so closely associated, like he is such a a company man, you know, in terms like you, know, and that that's to be admired, and that's probably why he's a captain and stuff like that to a degree. But it's, but if you align yourself so closely with things that are going wrong, then you will become dispensable at a, at a point because someone higher up will 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 use will sell you off or sell you out to save their skin. And I think I mean he may well like he's doing his coaching badges. He may well he he may well fall into to management and coaching somewhere along the line. But at the very least, he's go, he is now. I think I wouldn't have put it past Celtic to you know, give him the job with, or give him a high profile job in coaching staff with some mentor round about him so that there is this progression and there is the sort of company man style. There is no way that is going to happen now. He will have to, if he wants to get involved in management and coaching, he will have to go somewhere else to do it, to prove that he can do it. And I think that's probably because of this season. Um, And it's probably unfair but you know that's the way things go, and you've kind of got to make a judgment call as to whether you can keep going. I, I totally agree with, with Craig that it, if he'd been managed better over the last few years and hadn't been run into the ground, he's always going to want to play. He's not going to be the sort of person that's like, I'm, you know, 33, 34, 35 years old. I probably shouldn't pay play, you know, four games in 14 days. But he's not going to say no. So he needed to be managed better for that. But yeah, the the in, in terms of the, the sort of images of the se- season for Celtic, most of them will be at the, the feet of. Uh, most of them will feature Neil Lennon, but the, you know, secondary to the, the 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 image of Neil Lennon and and Scott Brown having a beer, um, it, it's the image of this season. Yeah, I would I would certainly say so. Uh, Craig Anderson, who's you who's up first in your uh, player that has disappointed you this season? So I say yeah, I'd go for one one from my own club and one from from another club. So I'll stick with the one from my own club, and it's uh, Aaron McGowan. Um, came in from Hamilton Ackies, where he was he was very popular um, at Hamilton. I think he'd won their fans' player of the year at some points. Considered a fairly good Scottish Premiership right back, um, and I just think some people disagree with me, but I think watching him play for Kelly, he sticks out like a sore thumb as by far the least technically able player in the team. Kelly have been very lucky in the sense that the, the signing policy that we've had over the last while, we, we've not always been, we've not always brought in good players, but we've generally brought in players who you think, well, he can trap a ball, he can shape his body well, he's quite clever, he knows the right runs to make, things like that. Uh, it's been it's been a kind of hallmark of, of the way that we played under Steve Clark, was we had players that were calm, composed in possession, all of that type of stuff. Um, right through the team and then when you look at Aaron McGowan the first time whenever he gets a ball it's like it feels like he, he can. his first touch goes two, two yards ahead of him his body shape just always looks wrong I, I just really dislike watching him as a player that's maybe harsh but I just think and, and obviously I've been spoiled by having Stephen O'Donnell in that position where he's, he's a fantastic player but even kind of going back before that guys like Luke Kendry that we had on loan from Bumley or somebody like that, like uh, John, someone, is it John Henry's son or something like that? But he he was a good right back. We've actually generally 
had okay players, but watching McGowan, it just feels like a a real step back in the kind of quality that we have on the park. And again, I'm maybe being harsh on him. I know there's been kind of things going on in his personal life, but I don't think that causes you to just not look like. I don't. I don't want to say he's not a footballer because I think he, he's got certain abilities. He works hard. He gets up and down the park. But a lot of the time, it reminds me of Jamie Hamill playing right back, which apart probably not one, something you want. <clears throat> apart from one good season when when Eremenko was basically turning everyone into players, um, he just doesn't have the footballing ability to play the role in in modern football. He's a defender first and foremost. He's not actually been that great at that. He, he's had some kind of quite big blow-ups and it's just as a as a signing I was really pleased to get him in I thought well we're getting rid of O'Donnell how can we bring in so we're not going to bring in someone of the same quality but at least let's bring in a solid dependable Scottish Premiership player but I think he's been anything but that yeah it's quite it's I thought it was like it was one of those things. I thought it was a a, a brilliant sign for Kamarak in the summer you know and the way that he'd played at Hamilton um and it just always come across a really Good professional, genuinely nice guy and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it's just not. It's just uh, doesn't seem to work for him. It could could be a case uh, that he, he might work out next season. But again, you don't. You, uh, at this stage of his career, he shouldn't be taking a season to bed into a team for like same, when he moves forty league. miles. Yeah, in the same <laughs> league. Um, the same but, pitch. Yeah, the, and and you know, what is at that stage of his career a step up and for for. You know, for good reasons, you should be looking to to be stepping up if you're an ambitious footballer. But yeah, no, I, I completely. I'm, I'm not writing. I'm not writing him off, but he just has disappointed me. Um, he's going to get plenty more chances because well, he's the only fit right back we've got. So he's 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 going to keep playing. So maybe he'll kind of work his way into it. Yeah, um, I'll go go with my my first one. Similarly, I, I've gone for a player from my own team, and then I've also gone from another player who from another team who disappointed me, um, and he fits along with Tom's choice. I, I've gone with Cal McGregor, um, who I just think has been just not great, just not just not at it this season. I think is is how I would describe it. I think there's too often. He uh, he gets subbed off in a game, and you you re- realize that he's been playing, uh, and that's you. Know, I, and we talked about you know the the, the Brendan Rodgers stuff has been uh, to a degree overstated because of how how calamitous it is now, and um, because Celtic fans definitely weren't saying that at the time when he left. But um, but the the drop off between Cal McGregor and that scene where he was a swaggering midfielder who, yeah, it didn't have. The uh, didn't have the body type, you know, to, to you think to go and dominate at a really high level. But then you were thinking, well, m- well, maybe, maybe he could. Whereas he has regressed exactly back to the player that I kind of thought he was in the in Dialer era. And so I'm not sure if it's a case of he just needs to be managed correctly or whatever. Like I mean, and it's not the stats aren't aren't awful or anything like that. You know that he scored um, th- three goals this season in the league. You know that was he, he got that many two seasons ago. You know it's not the you know it, and and he's you know he's con- he's contributing. You know, he only scored six two seasons ago. He got thirteen last season. But you know it's just uh it just uh, it's just an incredible drop off and a. a Whereas we were kind of expecting with Brown, I don't think we should be expecting with McGregor, and I think that speaks to a much bigger problem at Celtic, that the culture has allowed someone to that has shown so much potential has been allowed to backslide so heavily, I and think, then that's before you even mention his appearances for Scotland, which 
have not been impressive either. I think he's one that, that just needs to get out of Celtic as soon as he can, in the sense that he still has a chance. And we saw Stuart Armstrong left Celtic at still a quite advanced age. Like he must have been in his mid-20s, maybe even to late 20s. Probably when he left Celtic, it would have been a similar age to what McGregor is now. I think Armstrong, I've always thought Armstrong was a better player than McGregor, but I didn't think Armstrong would do as well as he did. He has done in England, and I think McGregor still has that capability. I've always been a little bit unconvinced about McGregor at a higher level. Like I think he's a very good 8 out of 10 player in Scotland, but he's an 8 out of 10 at everything, and I don't think there's one specific thing he's good at. And that always worries me, because I think when you go to a, a better team, you maybe want to have something you can hang your hat on. Is like, so you're talking about Armstrong, Armstrong's energy is, is what puts him through. And now McGregor has energy, but it's a different type of energy. Armstrong's an up-and-down player, and McGregor's a side-to-side player. And being a side-to-side player and doing lots of shuttling is great. And... and you talked about his Scotland performances, which have in the whole not been great, but they it worked to perfection in, in the game in Serbia where he was superb alongside Ryan Jack. But I I have my doubts about him going, but I think he has to go and give it a go because otherwise he's just going to stagnate at Celtic without a doubt. Yeah, because that's him that's him twenty seven at the moment. I think that if he does, like again, that's the thing that he might be a player that is just quite happy to. To stay, but I mean, I think that that would probably speak volume. I think there is a, yeah, that that, that I would speak volumes about him, really, to be honest. Right, um, Tom, who is your second disappointing player? Um, I've gone for similar to everybody else. I've gone from one 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 that's not mine, one of one that's not my own, and one that is, um, and the one that that is is uh, Sam Cosgrove, who has kind of gone back to the player that Aberdeen signed um, so it, it was a it was a punt you know it, it was a he'd, he'd kind of fallen down the leagues like, and he was a trainee at Everton he'd uh, been at Wigan and that had not worked out he'd gone on loan to like Barrow and Chorley I think um, in the national leagues and hadn't scored was in the reserves in League 2 at Carlisle United and and when your career kind of, I mean, he was st- still young at the time, still only 19, 20 years old. Um, but if things keep going like that and you've not, I think, won one senior goal, you can see why confidence might be an issue. Now, Derek McInnes obviously saw something in him that nobody did at the time. And to be fair, nobody did for the first six months that he was he was playing at Aberdeen because he he did not look like a footballer. He he looked. He was snatching at chances. He wasn't making the right runs. He looked every bit a guy that had struggled at North Ferriby United on loan. <laughs> um, but then, 2018-19, a uh, couple of seasons ago, started taking penalties and had obviously practiced at them because he's a very very composed penalty taker. Hasn't missed to my knowledge. Um, his hold-up play was much better and he developed this a talent of, of being able to turn and run at people. Um, there was a... The, the, the kind of... His arrival match was the, the, the game against Motherwell, I think, um, when there were a couple of... The, there, was, there was quite a few injuries um, and 
he he ran the other old defence ragged, but and scored it. You know, chip, scored from uh, run ran from the halfway line and, and chipped the goalkeeper. And you're like, where does where have all these things come from? And and then they had a run of games where you know he scored against Johnston from outside the box. Um, was worrying was worrying far far better defenders than he would had ever faced before. And got an awful lot of goals so you know his goals to game record for Aberdeen is, is, is pretty impressive it's like a goal every other game but for the first 10-15 of those games he, he didn't look like scoring uh, this summer was linked with a move to France which he, he, he decided he didn't want to, um, to to take up which you know fair enough Um and then had had an injury that, that ruled him out. Immediately came back in his, I think it was either his first or second game back, um, was a game against Hibs where he scored, again, a very composed finish with the outside of his foot. You're like, these are these are new things we're learning about <laughs> him. Since then, partly, I suspect, because he's playing up front in a two, which has not really worked for him, uh, or, or, or he's playing with a supporting Part. But since then, and the game against Ross County being at the weekend, being a, a, he's kind of reverted back to looking short on confidence, to looking more like just a big target man who holds the ball up well. Um, I don't think it's entirely his fault. I think that Aberdeen have spent two years moulding him to be a lone striker and now suddenly said, right, well, we want to play, we want you to play off at least one other, if not two or three others round about you. But I thought, and I, I didn't think there would be any huge problem with him fitting into the system because the, you know, the, 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 the new system worked very well with, with Marley Watkins. It worked pretty well with, with Curtis Main for a bit and Cosgrove's better than him. So I thought he would just be able to, to slot in, but hasn't. And, um, looks very short on confidence, and considering there was talk, I mean, there there, there is still talk um, this week of Stoke and Newcastle um, being interested. So I don't know if it's a case of having heads turned or or or, or, or what it is, but a very just a very different looking player. I mean, there there have been a number of players this season that, for one reason or another, haven't quite turned out the way they they might have but for a guy that has hit double figures in both of the last uh, seasons I think he's hit, he's hit 20 goals in, in both of the last seasons in all, in all competitions has three so far this season and doesn't look I mean I'm not even sure if he would be on penalties given Lewis Ferguson's been very good at them so it doesn't really look like he's going to trouble double figures this season Yeah that's it's, it's interesting he just seems to I've hit a bit of a, I don't know, like, yeah, he's just kind of just not doing it. <laughs> like, that's basically it. Like, and, but I mean, there's, there's, there's been a few players like that. I mean, I just, Aberdeen's such a, a curious thing because this season, because that, it performed, like, I keep, all I, all I keep thinking about is the potential of that team is, was there in terms of was the performance away to Viking, which was just swaggering. Like, it was a really good, assured performance by players who, clearly knew what they're meant to be doing but also there was an element of ingenuity and um 
boldness and you know players cl- clearly been taking risk and then it just seems everything seems to have fizzled out really quickly and you, you watching Aberdeen now you can't believe it's quite the same team now in in the end, in middle of January than it was back then yeah i mean maybe they're just feeling like me <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's january and you just want to get through it and you know get but it, it has it has happened quite it has happened quite quite quickly where they uh, take a couple of players out of that team and they don't seem to have this you know the same like you say the same swagger the same creativity that they're snatching at chances there there's not it doesn't look like they don't look like they know what they're they don't look like they've ever played together and i think that's that's inevitably going to impact most on the person that's meant to just be getting on the end of things but all round play, I think, has been a bit, a fair bit below what it has been as well as the goal. Yeah, uh, Craig, who's your uh, player from another club that's that's disappointed you? I have got another misfiring striker, and it is uh, St Johnston Football Club's Callum Hendry. Um, Hendry was one that last season, but before everything stopped, he seemed to be the kind of one of the form strikers going about. He seemed to be. It was it, the the thing that impressed me a lot about him was he wasn't getting loads and loads of minutes, but when he was getting minutes, he was getting goals, and um, he was he was kind of doing really well in terms of converting chances, all the things that you would want from a centre forward. And then you fast forward to this season, and he, and he just can't buy a goal. He's kind of dropped so far down the, the pecking order. Chris Kane's actually having a reasonable season. He's thrust his way ahead of them. Stevie May's come in to also go ahead of him in in. Um, the pecking order, and it just seems like he's he's not that young a player. Like I think he's like he's 22, 23, he's not like 19. You expect a lot more from him given what we've seen from him. And I just think his performances, maybe it's been a change of system and stuff like that, and, and playing under a different manager and stuff, but I was expecting to see him rattling in the goals this year, and it, it just for whatever reason. Maybe he's just not that good and he just was kind of had a wee purple patch when people didn't know what to expect from him. But I am now doubting myself as to whether he can actually he's at, he can actually cut it at this level. And, and that's a weird thing to be saying because like, there was a time where you were thinking, okay, is he going to eventually step up? Maybe maybe even, not straight away, but maybe even start to, you know, make a make a step up and start thinking about, about you know, following his dad's footsteps into, into Scotland squads and things. But there, there just doesn't look to be any chance of that. Uh, I am going to recuse myself from saying anything ahead of the fact that we're playing them on Saturday and don't really want to really want to, to jinx them on that. Uh, Tom, have you got anything to say uh, on our uh, St. John's striker or will, uh, will I carry on? No, I think that's, that's, uh, that's, that's spot on. I mean, I, I, for a side that's struggled for goals, and at the start of the season, you might not, you you would have probably thought that it would be the, the the two who find themselves out of the squad. You would have thought at the start of the season would be the two that would would be starting um, most regularly. But you know they, they seem to have hit upon a partnership with with Melamed and Kane, which is not great news for um, not great news for Hendry, who seems to have not just gone off the boil in terms of chances, but his discipline's been a bit questionable as well. Yeah, 
I think that like, I think his his recent red card at Pataudry <laughs> kind of summed up his yeah. season. I think more than uh, the player that uh, I've gone for that's in terms of disappointment uh, is one from my own club, um, and I kind of uh, I kind of hate to say it, but it, it's Martin Boyle um, who signed you know who Hibs were concerned were was going to leave the club in the summer uh, or the strange summer that we had where it wasn't quite a summer. You know, where we didn't really know what was going on, but he signed a new deal, um, and but it's, it's just it's just not been very good. <laughs> I think that's a, it's it's a it's a weird thing because he his performances have not been good yet. Just the the idea of Martin Boyle is actually enough to uh, terrify teams, which I think is which I think will be found out in the second half of the season as not a tactic that you should really employ. Um, I th- again, like you, whatever we say about him, you, but he's, you, he's scored as many goals this, in the league this season as he had last season. But at the same time, he's only scored in, in two fit bursts, essentially. He scored in the first day of the season. And then again, uh, a few weeks, uh, two weeks later, uh, no, just a week later, uh, where am I, what am I talking about? Uh, he scored again the the final goal in, against uh, St Mirren just a, a couple of weeks after that, and then he scored two weeks in a row against Motherwell and then Hamilton, and then he he hasn't really contributed since then. Like he does get play, other players sent off and stuff, but yeah, just think he must now be possibly Hibs his uh, at least one of Hibs's best paid players, and. You need a lot more consistency from from him for that. Like you, this, as soon as he gets this new deal, it makes him a senior member of the squad. But he's not offering that in terms of performances. There we go. Nothing to say. Nothing to say. You've seen him a lot more of him because uh, when uh, whenever I've seen him play, which was. Uh, I can't remember if he played this, the, the other games against Kelly, but the opening day, he was he was he was fantastic. He tore us to shreds. So that's what stuck in my mind of Martin Boyle. He, he's he's um he's still clearly yeah, got something to offer. I think you're right. I think he will come he will come good again because I think he's too good a player not to. But yeah, you, you're probably right in terms of he's not he's not put up the numbers that you maybe would expect from from this season for what he was starting to look like he could have been. But you were starting to think of, of Scotland missed a trick here with, with him mm. and stuff like that. And, and I mean maybe maybe we still have, but um Yeah, I mean Hibs Hibs are ridiculously slow without him, but again, with him, he doesn't do enough to change the game, if that makes sense. It's the like it's just what he does to the opposition to make them think. But I think that will be that'll that'll potentially be found out. Is there a formation that can get the best out of the best players Hibs have, though. I think that that's one of the... I mean, the the best thing Jack Ross has got now is several tweaks, uh, nips and tucks that can that can line up in different ways against different opposition. I'm not sh- sure there is... It has yet been invented to make sure that the best 11 players that Hibs have can all be on the pitch at the same time and get the best out of each other. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think we've got a fairly... Um, versatile squad but actually as a starting 11 it's not necessarily its strongest so that I mean that 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 kind of fits with Jack Ross's kind of template in terms of he's quite happy to switch things up per opposition and you know, is flexible is fle- is tactically flexible to do that during games but at a certain stage if you're wanting to become the third force in Scottish football which is kind of Hibbs's intention and and what Ron Gordon's talked about that you 
at a certain stage have to be the club that dictates to other teams as opposed to reacting to how they play. Um, and maybe that will come by building a bigger squad. But yeah, you're right. I don't know. I don't know if, uh, yeah, if you put a gun to Jack Cross's head right now and said, what's your strongest 11? I think he would re- reply, who am I playing? As opposed mm-hmm. to what is actually the, the, the strongest 11. Uh, right. Let's go. Let's be a bit happier because it's, because uh, the vaccines around and stuff like that. And maybe, maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, who are players that have uh, surprised you this season? So, Tom, do you want to kick us off again? I will start with uh, Joshua Mullen of Livingston Football Club. Um, so, like, you know, if you love a narrative, start the season coming off the bench for Ross County. Like, so tw- 29th of August, thrown on by Ross County when they were a goal down against Livingston. Like, he's, he basically starts the season as a 28-year-old squad filler at, at, at not a great, Ross County squad, which I think is being fairly kind, comes back to Livingston, where he's obviously a, like a, a cult figure, not least because of how important he was in the promotion season. Um, and was kind of in and out of the squad until Martindale takes over properly. They've now gone ten the, the ten matches unbeaten as their their Twitter ten in a row, uh, yeah, yeah, ten in a row as their Twitter pointed out. The only one of those that he's missed was the Livingston B match like last night where they drew with Celtic. Um because he's being rested for the for the semi-final. Like he he's now just a like a vital part of everything Livingston do. Like a, a, a couple of goals and a couple of assists in those 10 games. One of the reasons that Celtic brought Greg Taylor back the weekend was because Josh Mullen gave AC Milan's Diego Laxalt absolute hell at the weekend. The two games that I've seen all of him uh, were the the game against Hibs when he gave Lewis Stevenson a, a, a torrid time and the match back against Ross County when uh, it was up against Alex Iacoviti. Um, and he's just a complete pest. Like, we've, we've talked about a winger's kind of wide players by their nature. He's not like a traditional wide player, you might say, but he's playing largely wide on the right. Um, in their very nature, are kind of inconsistent and are going to float in and out of games. He he doesn't. He's quick. His work rate is fantastic. Um, and he's pretty much at the heart of everything that they do going forward at, at the moment. Um, so, like... Yeah, I, I think might only have been ten games, but Livingston have firmly put themselves. You know, they, they by this time next week they could be uh, in a cup final, and they're certainly in contention for for Europe. And he's been a huge part of that. And for a guy who was struggling to make minutes at the start of the season at Rocks County, it's been a remarkable turnaround for him. I mean, I think. Not just as a, as a surprise, like if you'd have said to you know, where is he going to be playing his football in a, in another year, you wouldn't have been surprised if it was a mid-table championship club. Or, um, but actually, he could well be playing in Europe with Livingston. I mean, if if McBurney's worth twelve million off the back of one good season, uh, sorry, twenty million, twenty million off the back of one season, um, Josh Mullen must be like zero point six McBurney. <laughs> 
Preganson, who have you been excited by I've or got surprised one from, by? One from each of your teams, actually. So I will pick the Aberdeen one first because it ties in a little bit with, with what Tom was talking about earlier with Cosgrove in terms of someone being out of the team, leading them to being better. And that's Scott Wright. Um, Scott Wright is a player who I have never rated particularly highly. Um, whenever I've seen him before, I thought he's usually played in the wing. He's been a kind of ineffective winger. He doesn't. He's never quite looked like he's had enough about his game. He's not like you. You don't think when you never thought previously when I saw him, this guy's going to change a game. This guy's going to impact something. He was quite quick. He maybe had a good wee bit of skill, but the end product wasn't there. Um, and therefore, I was quite surprised when he started to get a bit more game time this year. But the games that I've seen him play and and behind the striker when they were playing with with Watkins up front and they were kind of playing a very fluid front front four, if you want to call it that, I think Wright has been absolutely tremendous. I think he's a type of player that there are just not many of in Scottish football that are quick and direct and actually quite talented. You usually get... <laughs> Yeah, one you... of those three, two of those three, if you're lucky. Um, but but to have all three of those um, is quite rare. Now, um, given what given what's what's kind of been discussed of him moving to Rangers, I don't think he's a Rangers standard player by by any stretch. I think the only reason they want him is because he's he's homegrown and that helps him for Europe. And I wouldn't be surprised. I think he's making the right decision to go there because I wouldn't be surprised had he stayed at Aberdeen. If he's ended up being another Peter Pollitt, where remember Peter Pollitt just had that one amazing season at Aberdeen and then just kind of drifted back into kind of obscurity. Um, that could well have happened to Scott Wright as well. But I think from this season point of view, he's been one of the most exciting players to watch in the Premiership. And therefore, I think, um, given my low opinion of him before the season started, he felt like the, the right choice. Um, obviously, on the McBurney index, he would be zero because he'd be moving on a free transfer. But if you were actually valuing him, then maybe you would put him at a semi McBurney at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that. I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, I'm going to uh, my two surprising players are both on the same side, so I'm just going to do them both at the same time, and then we'll we'll, we'll slip back. So my two are, and this is not, not normally a team. Uh, I'm I'm known to praise uh, that much. Uh, it's Dundee United's Benjamin Segrist. And uh, I can't believe I'm actually saying this in the year 2021. Nicky Clark. Um, <laughs> so I think Segrist first, I think, is a, is a pretty obvious one. Just he is... Uh, far too good a goalkeeper for the level for for Dundee United's mid table. Like it's he uh, would not be surprising to see him uh, playing Championship football in England soon. If not, it's been snapped up by uh, Celtic as a, as, as a third choice keeper or what have you. You know the sort of thing. Like he has uh, just thinking back to the game Easter Road, just a number of uh, just unbelievable saves that he had absolutely no right to and he's kind of done that consistently throughout the season and I think that given uh, given Dundee United uh, it's not as if Dundee United um, are tight at the back like I think that's one of the things like they've still conceded a lot of goals but that's because of uh, Connolly largely Connolly and Reynolds I think are not uh, I would hate put it this way if Dundee United had a goalkeeper uh, like Ross Laidlaw or what have you, I think that they would be toiling slash in a in a bit of a relegation battle. Seagrass has, has elevated them and given them a sense of security, um, which is, and I think he's possibly, 
one of the one of the three best keepers in in the league this season. I think he's. Uh, I think that was actually you could even argue two. Um, I think he's been really surprised. And then when you get onto Nicky Clark, I mean Nicky Clark has, has been someone that I've n- never <laughs> never rated, uh, and yet this season he's popped up. He's he's got ten goals in in twenty five games, eight in the league. Um, you know that, that's more more than he scored in the championship last season. Um, he's always been a he's always been a scorer of goals in the championship. Like, uh, but I, I I naturally assumed that this was going to be a step up too far. Whereas actually, in comparison to Shankland, he's he's done a far better job this season. Um, admittedly, some of his goals have been um, <laughs> outrageous gifts from defenses and stuff like that. But again, if you're a, a a striker like Clark, then that's. I don't think you really care how you get them. Um, you know, part of your part of your there is just to to score goals. And I, yeah, like I said, absolutely shocked that in the year twenty twenty one, I am seeing the, his name and that he is still playing Premiership football. But uh, fair play to him; he has surprised me greatly. I I like uh, Seagrass is a fantastic goalkeeper. I've always quite liked Nicky Clark as a player in terms of being a bit of a pest as well. Um, it, there's a, there's something of Kenny Miller about him for me when I watch him, but I find it hard to praise him because his dad's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll leave it at that. I um, I actually also had uh, Seacrest, uh, uh, and I, I think, like you said, Dun- I mean everything that you've said. Dundee United would be in a far, far worse situation were it not for the fact they've got a very, very good goalkeeper. And I, I think once upon a time, Celtic might have looked at him and gone, yeah, that's exactly who we need to, at least as backup. But he is almost certainly better than the two that they've got at the moment. Um, he's made more saves than any other goalkeeper in, in the top flight this season. Um, he's just looking at that the, 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 the stats now. Ryan Fulton's the set made the second most saves with sixty two. Segrist made the most with seventy nine. So he's like he's making more saves, like significantly more saves than anybody else. And, and, that, and that's a, a team that's a in, yeah, and that's a team that's in sixth versus the goalkeeper for a team that's bottom of the table. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the way that Dundee United, one of the reasons that Dundee United are able to play the way that they are very conservatively and, you know, let's start from nil-nil and see what we can get from there is because they have a very, very good goalkeeper. Um, there aren't, considering what he would likely cost uh, for anyone with any kind of budget down south, I would be very surprised if he's there the uh, next, next season. And on that, he must be worth at least one McBurney. <laughs> and uh, Craig, who is your final surprising player of the season? It's a man who you are uh, going to be determined to have on the, the luxury coach down to the European Championships in the summer. It's Kevin Nisbet. I well, I mean, from the championship football that I saw last season um, playing for Dunfermline, I thought he looked like a pretty good striker. But even though his goal return was similar to Shanklin's in the championship last season, I always felt Shanklin was a better player just in terms of watching him, just had more strengths to his bow, more about his game. That may still be the case because I think I've, I've been on the record plenty of times just saying that, that, that I think Shanklin's been used very badly by Dundee United, but you've talked about Nicky Clark being able to score for Dundee United, so there's only so much you can mitigate that as well. Um, 
what we've seen from Kevin Nisbet is that he has a lot more to his game than I gave him credit for. He he's a, a complete striker. He's willing to do the the dirty work, running you know running the channels, running the line. But as a finisher, he's he's excellent. We kind of knew that, but also his hold up plays really good. He's one of those kind of chameleon strikers that you, you talked about Sam Cosgrove earlier, uh, Tom, in terms of he's probably geared up to playing one particular way. You feel like Nisbet could play in a team that plays long ball. He, he would win lots of headers, but he would win enough of his fair share to, you know, annoy annoy opposing teams. You could think of him playing as a team that plays on the deck. You get the ball into his feet, he lays things off. Or you can think about him playing a team that, that gets across crosses into the box, which, which have, have, have started to do a bit recently and he'll get on the end of them. So I have just been hugely impressed by him. I think we've spoke, spoken before about, um, and other people on the on the show, about kind of the, the striker berths for Scotland. I think he's put himself ahead um, um, of Shankland. Whether that's going to be enough, because I don't know whether Shankland would make the cut either. But if we're talking about the, the McBurney index, and that's obviously who we're comparing him to, given all the McBurney, I, I think Holly McBurney's a good player. I've spoken about this before. I think he has something about him. I don't think he's as bad as what we've seen. But if we're looking at the McBurney index right now, I would put him at 1.0001 McBurney. <laughs> slightly ahead of Holly McBurney on the, uh, in the pecking order. I think that's, that's, I think that's a fair point. I think that's a good way to, to round up. Uh, we'll now move on to the second part of the show um we this might not be particularly long because i don't know why on earth people voted for this in terms of memorable games um it, it is etched in my memory to be well, okay there there we go it's from the 17th of october 2007 and scotland went to the caucuses and lost 2-0 to georgia um just for to put this in time context at the time uh, this was part of our Euro 2008 uh, qualification uh, this was only the second time we'd met uh, we'd played Georgia, we beat them previously earlier in 2007, we beat them 2-1 um, and in the charts at that point uh, number one single was About You Now by Sugar Babes and the number one uh, film in uh, the box office was Ratatouille which I went to see at the pictures, it was a good film so I think most people will remember this game as the the Claret Strip game. What what were they thinking? <laughs> I I, I, re- it's, I know it's I know it's very your dad, but it really really irritates me when Scotland don't wear blue when we can wear blue. Like I don't mind just having a change strip and I understand like the commercial agreements and stuff and and, and I like generally like the pink when we have a pink away strip. I think that's because it's got a good bit of history to it and stuff like that and. The, um, I was watching highlights of the for some reason for the game against Poland from the um, sorry Slovenia from the Euro 2016 qualifying campaign and that pink strip that we wore then I think is a really really underrated Scotland strip but we didn't need to wear an away strip we had quite good strips around that time and we were going to Georgia where we were going and wearing the colour of like the kind of former Soviet Republic that was in Georgia, that was on their flag, that, that feels almost, I'm sure it wasn't even thought about, but it feels a bit antagonistic as well. It's like they've, they've rebranded themselves. You think of when Georgia became an a, a, a independent a republic, state, they had yeah, that, yeah. They had that um, maroon, black and white uh, flag, 
And then they, they deliberately made the choice that, no, we're, we're stepping away from that. And then we're turning up with like, that colour. It's like a, a claret rag to a bull. Um, but, but yeah, it just, it feels like pointless. And it probably isn't the reason that we lost, but it just annoys me. I think, I think there is a sense of playing for Scotland, unlike club teams, it's like you've grown up watching that blue strip. Don't, don't give a player, if you can give a player an extra 1%, give them it. Yeah, I mean, I think we looked like hearts, and uh, we, yeah, 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 we 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 sunk up the joint like hearts are prone to do. Um, Yeah, it was. uh, I mean, I've I've I watched the. I remember watching this when I was at university time and thinking, well, this is. I don't know why, but probably at the time I thought, yeah, well, it's Scotland going to Georgia. Like, it should be fine. Like, I, for some reason, I was fairly confident of it and going around and having a few beers at a friend's flat. And then just, it was a fairly early evening kickoff as well, wasn't it? Or it's like after, like late afternoon, early evening kickoff and being fairly relaxed about it all. And then, um, and obviously, we got the boost that Georgia were going to, that were using the opportunity to, in new players, you know, so that they was in, they were said beforehand that they were, they were going to play some new players, including uh, a goalkeeper who had not made a, a hadn't even played for his club at that stage and was going to start uh, in goals for Georgia. So at that point, you're starting to think this is this this is exactly what you want, and then you remember it's Scotland. Well, I think the reason you're, you're contributed we'd won six games in a row heading into this, so we, I think it was it's Scotland's best. I think we, we, we equaled it um, recently under Steve Clark, but it was our best run. And even that's counting draws and penalty shootout wins as wins, which I don't. Um, but, but yeah, we'd won six games in a row legitimately. And we'd come off on the Saturday, um, we beat Ukraine 3-1 at Hamden in what I think is one of the best Scotland performances in living memory. A Ukraine team that had been to the World Cup quarterfinals and they turned up at Hamden and we didn't just beat them, we absolutely battered them. It was 3-1. We were 2-0 up in about 15 minutes. Um, should have, the game should have been, it should have been about 5-0. Scotland were tremendous. And at that point, up until then, you'd thought we've been we've been doing really well in this campaign, but we're probably not going to qualify. When I left Hamden after that um, Ukraine game, I thought well, we, we're going to do this. We're, we're un, unplayable <laughs> at the moment. Obviously, the issue started straight away. In the sense that during that uh, Ukraine game, uh, Lee McCulloch got a yellow card for dissent um, for complaining about, I think, what was a, a very clear penalty for Scotland. The referee did not like him uh, complaining when we didn't get it. and He got booked and he was therefore suspended for this game. McCulloch was in a crucial part of that team. Then we picked up injuries. We knew about injuries to um, Alan Hutton and Scott Brown. So, so I don't think they travelled to Georgia with us. And then subsequently, before kickoff, um, the major blown, I think the thing that, that finally killed off our chances of winning the game, an injury to Gary Naismith. Um, and what that meant is with Hutton out, um, Graham Alexander was going to come in and play right back. Graham Alexander was very dependable for Scotland. He played all sorts of positions. He played both full-back positions. He played holding um, as well. But with... with uh, Gary Naismith being out, Alexander had to switch over to the left, kind of at the last minute. And Graham Murphy came in for only his fourth cap, and I think his last cap. Graham Murphy was not good. Graham Murphy never had a good game for Scotland that I can remember. And I think it was the one of those things that was like an extra step too far. You were just losing too many players. Um, 
obviously yeah, we should we should probably mention that the, yeah the Scotland team that lined up that day was uh, Craig Gordon goals. Uh, the aforementioned Murty and Graham Alexander as fullbacks with paired uh, with Steve McManus and Davy Weir uh, in centre defence, uh, a midfield four of uh, uh, Darren Fletcher, Barry Ferguson, Stephen Pearson, and Sean Maloney, and then uh, James McFadden uh, just off Kenny Miller up front. Yeah, yeah I, Darren Fletcher I, playing on the right. <laughs> yeah, not not where you'd necessarily want to play him. Which is where Scott, where Scott Brown had played previously as well. Um, it, it had it worked when Alan Hutton was behind you. It doesn't work when Graham Murray's behind you. <laughs> He's not, he is not flying up that channel. There's there's something sort of baked into, I guess, all Scotland fans' DNA where you can't get too ahead of yourself. But this is the only campaign where I got ahead of myself, where I was like, right, so so all we really need to do this is all we really need to do. And Georgia had been good-ish for the second bottom seed. I think they'd beaten they'd beaten Lithuania and they'd been at we don't we we'd only beaten them in the last minute in the previous match. I think we'd scored like with only a couple of minutes to go to win two one. So there was a and, and they they'd been like fairly tough opposition, I think, for Italy and France had only beaten them one, two nil. They they were they were fairly, but it was a total dead rubber, and they had, th- I think, three teenagers, one sixteen-year-old, and one guy was playing who was eighteen years younger than Graham Alexander, um, and and a twenty-one-year-old, and rather, uh, so you looked at the team and you heard that you know there, there were a couple of players, one who'd never made a a, a senior appearance, one who had made less than ten, and a a, a guy who was like. I think seven, 17 years old and we'd only just made his debut for Empoli um, and you, if you can't feel a bit confident about that when Scotland were, were really good like you say coming off the back of a really good performance uh, against Ukraine and you, but rather than it being like we've got all the experience um, we've got guys who have played hundreds of games at this level it just looked like really old guys against really young, enthusiastic. Um, and Georgia, Georgia were like, they were quick, they were disciplined, they were aggressive. Um, and, and Scotland decided it wasn't really part of their game plan to find a pass to another teammate. The, it the was thing, so pedestrian. The thing that struck me about that performance, I think we talked about, well, I talked about Aaron McGowan earlier in terms of having a bit of a lack of technical ability. I think that Scotland team compared to this one perhaps had better players, but technically just nowhere near, um, nowhere near as good, to be honest. And they had they had workers, they had grafters and stuff like that. But watching that back, you can see, apart from the exception of McFadden and Maloney um, and Darren Fletcher, there's just a lot of guys who are not that comfortable on the ball. Um and that was the thing that stood out. But the, the other thing, and I think it was a critical mistake, and I kind of thought that at the time, was uh, the the selection. Previously in away games, we'd generally been quite cautious. Um, and at the last minute, um, McLeish decided to drop, or he didn't drop him because he hadn't played the previous game. He'd been thinking of bringing in Christian Daly to play in the midfield. He'd often sat in front of the back four. And instead, because I think of all the kind of noise about, um, about what... Uh, Georgia were doing. He instead decided to um, to put Maloney in the team, 
And I think that was probably one of the critical errors that he made because Maloney was um, not the Sean Maloney that he kind of went on to be. He was still a bit flaky as a player at the time. And I think we should have went out and played the way we played in most of the other games, which was give ourselves a base to build on and then start trying to win the game. But but the quote from um, the quote from McLeish at the time was send out a more positive team and to win. That was why he dropped or, or didn't pick daily. I think that was a mistake and it's it, it's played into what I think. I've got my view on Alex McLeish in general as a Scotland manager is that he was a lucky manager. I don't mean that he wasn't good, but I think he was lucky in the time that he came in that, that Walter Smith had done a lot of the hard work in building the team. He was lucky in a lot of the results that he got. Um, now, we can talk about some excellent performances, but things like the, the win over Lithuania, I can't remember if it was him in the previous win over Georgia or not, so I'll, I'll give him a buy on that, but the win over Lithuania um, previously, we, we were fairly fortunate to win that game. And we went out. the 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 reason that I that this annoyed me in particular was we went out to Lithuania um, earlier in the campaign. I can't remember if it was the previous month. Um, it could even have been under Walter Smith. I can't remember when in the campaign it was. But we picked a team in that away game that was too attack minded. And actually, at no no, um, James McFadden, I think it was, got injured. And whoever the manager was, I'm now starting to think it was Walter Smith and not McLeish brought on Christian Daly or Graham Alexander as a sub, which seems really negative when you're away from home and you're you're not winning. But I actually changed the game in our favour because it gave us control. And I think we needed to do the same in Georgia. But instead, it was like he saw the headline of, well, they're, they're bringing in these young boys and kind of he, he bought the hype around it. In reality, they only made three changes from the team that played Italy on the Saturday. Um, they, they narrowly lost 2-0 in Italy. So they obviously weren't that bad a team. And as we talked about, um, as, as um, Tom alluded to, uh, one of the youngsters they brought in was was with Empoli who were in, in Serie A at the time, I think. One of the other ones was signed with Schalke. We are not talking about, you know... Kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah boys, boys from the, the kind of youth teams in, you know, in the Georgian League or something. I think the goalkeeper was right enough, but actually went on to have an, an okay career. And we didn't test them anyway, so it didn't matter who the goalkeeper was. Um, so, so I think there were these things that really annoyed me about the game. But I think I think there was po- there was possibly an element of uh, what, what what they call it in NFL or whatever, like white line fever. You know, in terms of like seeing seeing that the opportunity to qualify was like you, know, it was within our grasp. If we'd won in Georgia, we I think we could have gone into that last game against Italy. Um, and being defeated and still qu- potentially qualified, or yeah. whatever it is, a draw, a draw would definitely have done it in that case. And there's a good chance with the way the fixtures were that, that we might have lost and still still went through ahead of um, ahead of. And so I think that the, the, the temptation there was to to do that, and then you don't have to worry about having to get a result against Italy. Um, but then, if you fuck it, <laughs> then it doesn't really matter, and it makes uh, it means you have to go in, into the game, uh, which I'm uh, a game against Italy, uh, needing to win, and which, uh, as we all know, did not happen. Yeah, and and it's almost like you don't even want to talk about the game here because the game. I mean, there was nothing safe from Scotland's perspective. It was, it's, it was a dreadful performance. Like, it was just absolutely awful. We we should have had a we should have had a penalty um, in the first half at one nil. Which I couldn't, I couldn't actually find footage of this time around. But I remember from the time it, it was very clearly a penalty. I think it was um, 
it might have been Zura Kizinishvili that brought down McFadden in the box. It was certainly McFadden who was filled and we didn't get it. And I think that was actually a wee bit of a theme in that campaign. I think not talking about the Italy game, which um, as um, as you know, we've talked about it. Yes, we got a very bad decision against us at the end, but our goal in that game was was quite clearly offside. But heading into that, I think out in Ukraine, we've got a bit of a a bit of a um, poor refereeing had perhaps cost us a chance at a point in that game as well. But in this game, I think we were unlucky in the sense that we didn't get the penalty we probably should have done, but you have to earn your luck. And if you play so poorly throughout, you shouldn't be relying on having to get one penalty, which maybe we would have lost anyway, because maybe, you know, they would have kept kept going at us as they did. But it was just a real kick in the teeth, that game. It's it's one that really frustrates me more than, more than most, because unlike previous Scotland teams where we could have done it in qualifying, that was a team that should have done it because they put themselves, they'd done all the hard work to put themselves in that position. Um, not just the France wins, both of which were quite fortunate, but especially, as I said, talking about that Ukraine performance, to go out on the Saturday and, and play the way they did against such a good team and then to come out the fall, and, and maybe it was a case of the, the injuries too much and the, and the the energy being sapped, but to come back out a few days later and be so meek is just the, the really frustrating part about it. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Tom, have you got anything more to say on this game? Anything that you discovered or like uh, anything of note? I, it, it's still kind of a traumatic one because it was a, uh, I was living in London at the time and um, it was the qualifiers that it looked for uh, it looked for a for a brief moment like it might be one that we made that England didn't and um, ended up neither of us did uh, and that, that's the absolute it would be the best thing in the world honestly <laughs> that happens again because and it's very unlikely the amount of teams that qualify now but could still happen because it, it, it would be unbearable for them in the way that it normally is for us <laughs> We can, but dream. That's that. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe Euros will go back to an eight, eight team things like like Euro ninety two, and we've got we have a chance. But even then, they'll they'll get a dodgy easy group like we always do. Maybe we were. Maybe we'll be looking forward to the knockout stages, and they want in the summer. We can. We can only hope. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we'll, we'll keep telling ourselves that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that was uh, misery at the end. We had misery at the start, and we had slightly more. Uh, inspiring stuff right in the middle so hopefully you've enjoyed at least the middle bit um, but we are about to go over to the Patreon to disc- preview uh, slightly the um, Betfred Cup semi-final matches that are taking place this weekend, I think televised on Premier Sports um, I don't know why I did that, you guys probably know that already, uh, anyway uh, thanks very much for giving up your evening uh, Tom, thank you very much and Craig as well Thanks, yeah, it was uh, good, good to speak to you all and, and speak to you, the, the listeners out there. Yep, thank you very much and take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.